1: Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And welcome to the program. It is the Thursday night program. Believe it or not, I thought it was Friday almost all day. <laughs> all day. Anyway, the phone number 833 4825 337 Valdez or uh, at Rich Valdez on all the social media. And of course, that is Valdez with an S at the end. Now, I want to jump into a lot of things. Of course, I think the still the biggest story of the day is obviously the uh, yesterday's whistleblowers. Uh, that's still the the big story because what they were saying that was really big. And yesterday, I played a couple of clips of that, but there's a lot more clips that I didn't get into. So hopefully, we'll get into that. Uh, I also want to shed some light on the hearings that happened in Washington today. And now, I listen. I, I'm not guided by Washington's hearings, right? I mean, we do this show in Washington is, when Congress is not in session. But was a big story where um, RFK Jr. testified today in front of the uh, House Weaponization of Government Committee. And uh, I think he did a really good job. He opened up with a very impassioned plea where he uh, basically said, look, you're trying to censor a hearing on censorship (laughs) and he's 100% right because of course Democrats uh, from yesterday night and and early today were trying to disinvite him were we're adamant about not having him testify saying no you know what he is a crazy man he is a anti-vax he is an anti-semite he is uh, what else did they call him a white supremacist and they said he said anti-Asian comments you know what he said about anti-Asian he said that he felt that China had developed COVID-19 as a bioweapon against other countries. That was his, his Asian hate. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, so anyway, um, the uh, one of the members of the committee, her name, you know, she's a former I think she's a former DNC chair. If I, if I remember this correctly, when there was a bunch of drama back in the Obama time, uh, but Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's at a hearing today, uh, the hearing where JFK was, and she tried to get the hearing to be conducted behind closed doors because she did not want the American people to hear Robert F. Kennedy Jr. saying that RFK Jr. needed to be censored in the name of blah, 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 which she cites in this clip.
2: Listen to this. I move that we move into an executive session because Mr. Kennedy has repeatedly made despicable anti-Semitic and anti-Asian comments as recently as last week. Rule 11, Clause 2 says, whenever it is asserted by a member of the committee that the evidence or testimony at a hearing may tend to defame, degrade, or incriminate any person, or it is asserted by a witness that the evidence or testimony that the witness would give at a hearing may tend to defame, degrade, or incriminate the witness, and it goes on. Mr. Kennedy, uh, among many other things, has said... I know a lot now about bioweapons. We put out hundreds of millions of dollars in, into ethnically targeted microbes. The Chinese have done the same thing. In fact, COVID-19. There is an argument that it is ethnically targeted. COVID-19 attacks certain races disproportionately. The races that are most immune to COVID-19 are. The lady making a motion or a speech. I I've made a motion to move into executive session because Mr. Mr. Kennedy's testimony. Mr. Chairman, I move to table the motion.
3: Gentlemen from Kentucky has moved to table. The
2: Mr. Mr. Chairman, I ask for a roll call vote on the on the motion to table. Now, of course,
1: this roll call vote uh, didn't result in anything. Right. Because, of course, uh, the Democrats are in the minority. There's a majority of Republicans. They voted. They were able to keep uh, Mr. Kennedy in open session in the public hearing so that he could give his testimony. But it was just really interesting to see how the Democrats were adamant so that nobody would allow him to be heard. And I think that, that's funny. I, all I do is host a radio show. And I'm always eager to allow people that disagree with me onto the program. I always put them first before anybody else that has a comment. If you disagree, you always get moved to the front of the line. And I, I invite everybody constantly to call our number 8334 Valdez so that you can be heard. But That is not what the Democrats on this committee wanted. Now, what was it that Kennedy uh, had to say? Well, listen to his impassioned opening remarks. Listen to this.
4: I was censored not just by the Democratic administration. I was censored by the Trump administration. I was the first person censored by, as the chairman pointed out, by the Biden administration two days after it came into office. It ordered a truthful, and by the way, they had to invent a new word called malinformation yeah. Dude, to censor people like me. Hey, there was no misinformation on my Instagram account. Everything I put on that account was cited and sourced to peer-reviewed publications or government databases. Nobody has ever pointed to a single piece of misinformation that I publish. I was removed for something they called malinformation. Malinformation is information that is true but is inconvenient to the government that they don't want people to hear. And and that's antithetical to the values of our country. After I announced my presidency, it became more difficult for people to censor me outright. So now I'm subject to this new form of censorship, which is called targeted propaganda, where people apply pejoratives like anti-vax. I've never been anti-vaccine but everybody in this room probably believes that I have been, because that's the prevailing narrative. Anti-Semitism, racism, these are, are the most appalling, disgusting pejoratives, and they're applied to me to silence me, because people don't want me to have that conversation about the war, about groceries, about inflation, about the war on the middle class in this country that we need to be having.
1: So that's uh, RFK Jr. Uh, setting the record straight. And I got to tell you, I watched a lot of this. Uh, I was at the uh, Newsmax Studios doing a little bit of commentary on this and a couple of other topics. And I was in the green room watching. And uh, I got to tell you, I thought he nailed the He nailed it out of the park. Not that I liked what he said. I think he was effective in countering uh, Miss Plaskett. And again, I know many of you may not like Miss Plaskett. I'm not saying that I like her. Uh, but... Stacey Plaskett, in my opinion, is very effective at what she does. I feel that she is very convincing to people who may not be in the know. She comes across as authoritative. She comes across as knowledgeable. To me, she comes across as a little bit ill-spirited, uh, but she's sharp and she's fast, and she can fool you. She really can. She can make you think that RFK Jr. is a anti-Asian, anti-vax, conspiracy theorist that hates Jews if you give her just a moment of your time <laughs> and and it's a shame let me see if I well we don't have time to do plastget right now but we will definitely get to her and overall this is part of the problem that we have in America today i feel that the left has encroached on so many areas right so the reason they're able to do this in congress is because their friends in the media will give them favorable coverage and make it look like they're fighting for you and me rather than fighting against the truth or even against lies. it's If you want to fight against lies, you got to let people say what they're going to say and then say, look, here's why what you said is wrong. you got to give people their chance to speak. This is why I invite people on this program to have that conversation. Some accept, some don't. But you have to allow people their due so that then you could say, all right, you know what, let's take that apart. And you can't do that. But the left has encroached on many areas, public education the media, higher education, unions, you name it. There's so many areas. And uh, straight ahead, we're going to talk about how they were able to conquer all these areas. So don't miss that. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
5: Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much.
0: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. And uh, as we were discussing, whether it's the left within the media that are laying down the cover for their friends in Congress and elsewhere. Or the left within academia, the left within the government, the left within everything. They're, it seems like they're everywhere, right? It's like a, a disease that just won't go away. <laughs> but that's, that's where it is. And it didn't just happen overnight. It, it's been a, a as, as our next guest puts it, it's been a cultural revolution. And uh, the radical left has conquered everything. I think the big question is, how do we take it back? Christopher Rufo is the senior fellow and director of the uh, initiative on critical race theory at the Manhattan Institute. And he's written this book. Excellent book. I recommend you getting a copy for yourself and one to give away. It's summertime. It's the best time to read. So get two copies. America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Christopher Rufo, welcome to the program.
6: It's great to be with you.
1: Yes, sir. So let's uh, let's dig in, because I think uh, it's a, it's a provocative title. Uh, I think a a necessary conversation that we need to have as part of our national discourse. And, and it's just, honestly, we can't move forward unless we take back so much of what the radical left has conquered, which as you've put it is everything. So uh, let's start off with, um, why did you choose the namesake for your book? Yeah,
6: well, I think that it's important uh, to understand really two key terms when you're thinking about the book's title. The first is a cultural revolution, And Marxists in the 20th century in the United States realized that they could not have the traditional Marxist revolution of mobilizing the working class and taking over the factories and then creating a revolutionary government Uh, that didn't work in the Soviet Union, which became a tyranny. And it wasn't going to work in the United States, where most working class people were very happy with their standard of living, their government, their institutions. And so what they decided to do in the late 1960s and early 70s is what they called the long march through the institutions, meaning that they would take their revolutionary ideology, they would hide it, they would infiltrate the established institutions, governments, schools, universities, even corporations, and then bring their ideology from within those institutions and then conquer territory that way. And the goal, of course, was if you can change the culture, you can change the country. They thought you could change the culture first. And if they were able to do that, especially through education, they could finally, after a hundred years, they believed, could have their Marxist revolution after all.
1: And really aptly put and and rather succinct. Uh, but this was wasn't this always their plan? I mean, a hundred years ago, I, I, I read that they were trying to you know the hardcore communists were trying to take over teachers unions, and, and to me, I would say they have succeeded. Uh, but it it goes beyond that, doesn't it?
6: It does. And, and, and the, the kind of Marxist ideology went through a major change after World War II. So, um, what, what you're talking about is the traditional working class, uh, you know, organizing factory workers, organizing teachers' unions. Um,
1: but right, what the happened Proletariat it, versus the bourgeoisie.
6: Exactly. But that really fell apart after World War II. And so, they created a new style of Marxist revolution, or you could call it a neo Marxist revolution. And they had two categories that they believed could be most effective. They said the white intelligentsia, so college educated, student radicals, college professors, and the black underclass or the black lumpen proletariat, people uh, who are at the margins of society, living in slums and inner cities. They believed that the intelligentsia could provide the ideology, and they believed that the black lumpen proletariat could provide the violence through rioting and other methods. To successfully pressure the establishment and what's really astonishing uh, in researching this book is that that theory that comes from the late 1960s is the same theory that was driving the, the black lives matter george floyd floyd revolutionary moment in 2020 really nothing has changed and so studying the history studying the past gives you these incredible keys for unlocking exactly what's happening in our institutions and then of course figuring out how to fight back
1: you know, I've seen um, some older, not hundred year old, but like you know, nineteen seventies, uh, circa seventies, early eighties, uh, communist writings on Marxist.org and whatnot, where they referred to uh, to Black Americans as the national minority, and and wrote things in terms of recruitment of the national minority for different positions, whether it was political or union, saying to to give them a position. Uh, whether or not they were qualified for it, just so that they would feel this air of superiority. And I I found it to be very demeaning, but this was quite the strategy that they had devised in order to ingratiate themselves with this community. And it 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 seems, kind of like you said, uh, nothing's really changed, right, from then till now, where it's still the the communists trying to dupe people, into their Marxist ideology to get them to do their bidding, to divide and conquer. And it's always the same end, yet I'm I'm shocked, I guess, or the incredulity you may sense, is that while we've seen this happen in history, it seems like we haven't really gleaned much from it.
6: That's right. And that's exactly the reason I wrote this book, is to give conservatives the kind of secret history of this movement and then to bring it to the present day. And You know, the the strategy hasn't changed, but what has changed is the conquest. And so in the 60s and 70s, all of the established institutions rejected this kind of ideology. They rejected the violent riots at the time. They rejected the terrorist organizations like Weather Underground and Black Panther Party. Even the New York Times, I went back as part of the research and I read the New York Times stories. They treated these left-wing radicals very poorly. They really insulted them and, and demeaned them saying that they were trying to destroy uh, important American institutions. They were using violence instead of peaceful protest. If you fast forward those 50 years in 2020, every company, every newspaper, every politician on the left, certainly um, every CEO, every athlete, they all bent the knee to BLM. And so what has really happened is their strategy has finally yielded fruit. Um, Their strategy has finally worked to 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 move these institutions where people feel enormous pressure to conform to an ideology that had been utterly discredited uh, in, in fifty years prior,
1: yeah, and it seems like uh, whether they're Maoists or Leninists or Stalinists, that uh, they they have infiltrated the environmental movement, that uh, they've really expanded that. They've gotten into the to the uh, racial grievance industry. They've gotten into just about everything, as you put it, and it, it's just uh, fascinating to see it happening. And, uh, and it's a great look at how you've described it in your book. So I want to continue to delve into that. And again, folks, I want to remind you, the, the book is America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. The author, Christopher Rufo, Senior Fellow at the, and Director of the uh, Initiative on Critical Race Theory at Manhattan Institute. And we're going to continue our conversation with him uh, straight ahead. Uh, Chris Rufo, let everybody know in the um, 30 seconds that we have remaining where they can follow you and how they can get a copy of the book.
6: Absolutely. America's Cultural Revolution opened as the number one national bestseller on Amazon earlier this nice. week. Um, it's the you know fastest selling conservative book in the country right now. And so you can pick up a copy at Amazon. You can pick up a copy at any retailer where books are sold. Um, and uh, I, I think that we are uh, building momentum for this book and, and certainly going to shape uh, the national narrative for the months and years to come.
1: All right. Well, stick with us. I want to get into what your favorite uh, part of it is and uh, and let the audience um, kind of take that apart as well. Folks, we're coming right back with Chris Rufo. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez.
0: And he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Our conversation with Christopher Rufo continues. And uh, the subject of our talk is his book. This is a book that you've got to get. America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Christopher Ruffo, senior fellow and uh, director of the Initiative on Critical Race Theory at Manhattan Institute. And uh, Chris Rufo, the, the book is, we talked about it in broad strokes in the first segment. We know the problem. I think it's important that we start to kind of outline what a solution looks like, because um, as you've aptly put it, the, the left is reengineering the human soul of our children and using them as guinea pigs. And uh, this is a frightening, frightening statement to make, Chris Ruffo.
6: Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely frightening. and uh, But unfortunately, it's, it's quite true. And this is the state of education politics in the United States today. Uh, the largest teachers union that oversees 3 million teachers in all 14,000 school districts uh, recently put it to a vote of their members and decided that they were going to be pushing critical race theory in every school district in the country. Um, the the leading educational theorist uh, in the United States um, he's passed away but his books are still enormously influential is a man named Paulo Freire, who I profile in the book um, he's a kind of unabashed Marxist theoretician it's the most assigned book in, in, in teacher training programs it's the third most cited book in all of American social sciences and these wow. are the kind of ideas that are training our teachers and then they're bringing them to our kids in the classroom as young as kindergarten In the book, I document dozens of examples of radical uh, neo-Marxist curricula um, from all these school districts where they separate students by race. Uh, They make certain students feel guilty and ashamed for their ancestry while rewarding and praising others merely because of uh, how they were born and who their parents were. And so um, parents saw this, I think, in 2020, um, but it goes much deeper than I think many of them even know.
1: This is, uh, yeah, again, very alarming, uh, because I feel, you know, for, for, I don't know, a decade or more, conservatives have been sounding the alarm on the media. Um, then they were sounding the alarm on higher education. Some have taken aim at the, the teachers union, the NEA, Randy Weingarten, et cetera. Uh, uh, but I think it's, You know, what hasn't been until, you know, recently, Mark Levin, others have really just doubled down and said, this this thing is everywhere, right? It's it's everywhere. And and the only way you can really realize that it's everywhere is to be able to identify it. And I don't know that everybody is able to identify it because most people want to live their lives and they don't feel they need to be experts on identifying Marxism in everyday life in their American culture. But that seems to have dissipated and been replaced.
6: Yeah, that, that, that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, you, you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old, and uh, when I went to public school, I think my parents probably never thought about it once, what kind of, uh, uh, if there was any possibility of a Marxist pedagogy in the classroom, it just simply wasn't part of the culture. But the culture in the last 25 years has shifted dramatically. The teaching core is very different. And I think that uh, parents are waking up to this. They're really starting to seek options. And you know, I've been working on the last couple of years in many states to restrict critical race theory, restrict gender ideology, provide parents with more choices, providing even universal school choice vouchers so they can take their tax dollars to any educational uh, opportunity of their choice. And this is what we have to do. We have to rebuild education from the ground up. And um, but first, you need to know what to look for. You need to know what to uh, what there what what might be in the classroom, and that's. Exactly the kind of information that I really highlight in the book through the whole education section to show parents, you know, wake up, there's something happening. Uh, You may not be able to identify it immediately, but if you get the information, you can start to dig into what's happening for your kids and then make the right decisions from there.
1: Do you believe that there is a way out of the mess that we're in without parents having to become activists?
6: I wish that there were, um, but I don't think at this point that that's a realistic option. Um, Many conservative parents, uh, unfortunately, I think, have uh, kind of uh, let the institutions run, assuming that they're pretty high functioning. You know, they might look to see what scores the local schools get on uh, standardized tests or other measurements, but they have to start thinking about what the ideology is. Um, And you don't need to actually be a political activist in the sense that you are you know, running for office or, or, right. or, or you know, shouting at, at school board meetings. Although that's great, but what you have to do is you have to be really mindful in the in the things that you that you devote your time and money to. And so, find a religious school, a private school, a charter school, a home school. Find the best educational option for your kids because education is the shaping of the soul. You know, the 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 radical left is right about that. Um, the question is. Who do you want to shape the souls of your kids and towards which values should they be shaped? Um, These are existential questions. They're the deepest questions. And I think that we're seeing perhaps the beginning of a revival in American education as parents start to grapple with these questions. But we need to ask these questions. We need to to think seriously about answers. And we need to create alternatives.
1: The bottom line here is that this is a culture war, and if you're not a culture warrior, you're going to become a culture surf right on the road yeah. to surf them. Folks, we're coming okay. right back with Christopher Ruffo. Don't go anywhere. The phone number, if you want to join us that way and ask a question, 833-482-5337, 833-4valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833 833- for Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 833 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. Night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Christopher Rufo, and we're talking about his book. You definitely want to get a couple copies of this. I know that the economy is rough, and if you can't afford the book, then don't buy the book. But if you can, by all means, buy one. If you can, by all means, buy two. The title of the book, America's Cultural Revolution, How the Radical Left Conquered Everything. Now, before we resume and wrap up with Christopher Rufo, I want to go to Bob in Pittsburgh, calling us on KDKA. Bob, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez and Chris Rufo. Go right ahead.
7: Uh, hi, how's it going? Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, look, this term CRT, critical race theory, by the writers, been thrown around, and you know what? Uh, I just, uh, I'm not calling to to start any arguments here. Or, or yeah, just take a deep breath here,
1: stuttering a little bit. Just slow down. Say what you mean. Go oh, sure. ahead. I'm
7: sorry. I, I, yeah, sure. I want to learn. Okay, so I, I am interested in knowing when you say, uh, um, you know, reorganizing the curriculum, and when it comes to CRT, uh, well, what authors are we talking about? What books are we talking about? Who? Right. I mean, um, I mean.
1: Well, let's pause right there and go to Christopher Rufo, so we could find out what authors and what books are being introduced into the curriculum that are radicalizing today's youth. Thank you, Bob. Go right ahead. Christopher Rufo. That's
6: a great question, Bob. And I would say that there's really two ways to look at this question. You could look at the original critical race theorists, people like Kimberly Crenshaw, who originated the theory in academia about 30 years ago and had been writing on these issues. Um, but you ha- can't stop there. You actually have to look at the ideas and concepts and arguments from CRT that are embedded in the curriculum in all sorts of ways. And so uh, even math can have elements of critical race theory, which sounds, which sounds uh, you know, implausible. But in the city of Seattle, for example, they've hired a full-time critical race theorist in their administration, and they're pioneering what they call ethno-mathematics, basically racializing mathematics, uh, having all of the mathematical problems and equations uh, be applied to radical left-wing racial theory, um, and so. Uh, There's really no discipline that is safe. I I wish I could say, hey, here are three books to watch out for. Um, But it's embedded at the pedagogical level, meaning that it's embedded in the way people teach, not just what people teach. Um, And so if you have uh, kids in school, Bob, uh, just make sure to review what they're doing and to talk to their teachers. And if your instincts say, hmm, something's a little seems wrong here, um, follow up, dig in, figure out what's going on.
1: Now, Christopher Rufo, just as a follow-up to that, uh, I think it's important that th- there's there's what you're mentioning, concepts and ideas that are everywhere. Uh, but this is one more area where I think parents need to uh, understand what this um, discipline is all about from Derek Bell straight through so that people understand uh, what they're looking for and this way they can identify it. Because this, this is really one of those uh, cultural battles where it's a – it's about what you know, right? And the more you know, the more successful you'll be. So um, is there a book, maybe a previous book that you've written in addition uh, to the work that you're currently promoting that, that you want to share that might uh, talk about critical race theory in particular?
6: Yeah, I've written a, a number of uh, policy papers and articles, but really it's uh, this new book, America's Cultural Revolution, uh, which debuted this week at the number one, as the number one bestseller on Amazon. Uh, there's an entire section with three or four full-length chapters just devoted to critical race theory. And so you'll get the history of CRT, you'll get how it's embedded in the curriculum, you'll understand exactly where it wants to take society. Um, And so you'll have everything that you need to know to feel uh, more knowledgeable than 99.9% of everyone else in the country on CRT, just by reading the last section of the book.
1: Now, and that that's fantastic. Now for folks that feel, you know what, I'm I'm up to speed with CRT, I'm I'm terrific. What else can they expect to glean from this book?
6: They're going to get the whole arc and the whole history of the left's cultural revolution and long march through the institutions to not just understand it at an ideological level. Okay, maybe you understand CRT, maybe you've read a little bit about it, you understand what the ideas are, but you have to know how they took these ideas and put them into the institutions and took these institutions and then used them to express their power, to express their revolution um, through all of these different organs of society. And so it's not just about theory, it's about political practice. It's not just about ideas, um, it's about institutions. And so um, it's a really comprehensive look Um, from the 1960s to the present. You'll understand the large sweep in American history This is going to shape the presidential campaign this year. Um, I I know, you know, having worked with Governor Ron DeSantis and supporting his campaign for presidency, um, uh, he understands all of these ideas, all of these concepts. Uh, President Donald Trump, of course, I worked with him on CRT as well. Um, He's all in on these ideas. And so if you want to be ahead of the game, if you want to know where the candidates are going next, pick up a copy of the book.
1: Folks, get two copies of the book. Trust me. America's Cultural Revolution How the Radical Left Conquered Everything Christopher Rufo let everybody know your website your social media handle how they could follow you and keep up to speed with the great work you're doing.
6: Thank you so much uh, get me on Twitter at @realchrisrufo real chris R U F O. My Substack is ruforufo.substack.com uh, and then amazon.com America's Cultural Revolution uh, or wherever
1: books are sold. Keep up the good work, my man. Really, really, um, um, I'm happy to see that there's a book out there like this one that's kind of all-encompassing, getting people up to speed and giving them a plan on how they can uh, fight back in the cultural revolution. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. You bet. Folks, your calls and more straight ahead. The phone number, 833-482-5337. This
0: is America at Night is not this is rich valdes
8: and you testified that he said to to that hunter told his dad according to rob walker quote i may be trying to start a company or try to do something with these guys now let me ask you something that doesn't sound much like joe biden was involved in whatever hunter biden was doing with the cefc if Hunter Biden is telling him that he's trying to do business with them, does it?
6: No, but it does show that he said, he told his father he was trying to do business, and he was okay. talking. Okay, well that is true. Hunter Biden does try
8: to do business. That's correct. Yes. So you don't not only have no direct evidence connecting Joe Biden to any of Hunter Biden's business deal, you actually had proof
1: that he wasn't involved. That is the proof that you had. It actually seems like he just said that it shows that he was telling his father he was trying to do business. So, again, if I tell my dad, hey, look, I'm I'm cutting a deal with these guys. We're doing X, Y, and Z. And then my dad famously goes and says, I don't talk to my son about his business dealings. Well, somebody here is lying. And the witness is making it clear that the liar is Joe Biden. Hunter Biden never said that he never talked to his dad about anything. It was... Joe Biden, who said, I don't talk to Hunter about any of his business dealings. And if we can remember that, right? I mean, uh, Trumpet Daily has put together this uh, little montage of Joe Biden saying he's never discussed business dealings with his son, Hunter. Listen to this. First of all, I, I have never discussed
7: with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. How many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Do you stand by your
0: statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business
7: Yes, dealings? I stand by that statement. No, I don't discuss business with my son. I never discussed a single thing with my son about anything having to do with Ukraine. No one has indicated I have. We've always kept everything separate. And I've never discussed what my son's business with him because I didn't want any conflict. I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board and that was it. My son's business dealings were not anything with everybody that he's talking about, not even remotely. Number one, nothing to do with me.
1: There you go. So that's uh, Joe Biden. I got hairy legs, by the way. if you think I talked to my son about his business dealings, well, you you ain't black, right? I mean, he says the craziest things. Anyway, good old uh, Joe Biden It seems to me that he's doubled down, tripled down, quadrupled down, that he doesn't talk about it. But now we have a witness saying that that actually happened. Why? Because they've uncovered emails. And in the emails, Hunter's saying, my dad's sitting next to me. I'm waiting for your call, right? This is happening over and over. It sounds like a shakedown. It sounds like extortion. But this is exactly what's happening. And so many people are willing to turn a blind eye. And it's a willful blind eye. And listen, this happens on both sides, right? I have to be frank. Right? Some people come and they try to make a good point about a let's say a a Republican candidate that you might like and and many people are willing to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to ignore things that may that may be um a topic of concern. Things that we should be talking about, we're not talking about. And and I think that this style of being a political observer, where my guy's always right and your guy's always wrong, it's it's obviously not uh, it's not productive, right? <laughs> we never really get anywhere because you, you can't get to a place where you can work with somebody with that. So I think it's important for us to remain, you know, to have a critical eye towards people, and and listen, I like so many Republican candidates. And if there's a flaw, sure, of course there's a flaw. I see it and, uh, and I'll acknowledge it and I'll keep moving because I, put a, you gotta put a, I think you've got to put things on a scale and you've got to say, hmm, well, this guy, I may not like this or I may not like that or some people may not like this or others may not like that. For me, a lot of those things are insignificant. You know, when I vote for president, I'm not voting for pastor or for priest. I know exactly what I'm looking for. I already have a pastor or a priest. Right. I go to church for that. I don't I don't need uh, this this person. I'm not looking for an immoral person, but I'm not looking for somebody that is, uh, you know, if they were divorced three times, that that's OK for me. It really is. I'll still vote for them. Bottom line here is we have to be able to, to call it out and and we can't call anything out if, if people won't be honest. And if Joe Biden can't acknowledge that he's given his son some business advice, because, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world that you would right? You're a smart guy. You're his dad. I'd go to my dad for business advice. Why is it the Hunter never went to his? It smells bad to me. Anyway, folks, we're going to continue our conversation straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hi there, good evening and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And that's uh, Valdez with an S, by the way. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you. It's Thursday night, hour number two of our broadcast. Feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 4 valdez And a couple of quick headlines here. Yesterday, there was these uh, explosive revelations that came out of the hearings on Capitol Hill uh, with respect to the IRS whistleblowers. And, you know, the Democrats were, I think, put on, uh, on defense there because the star witness, Mr. Ziegler, was a gay Democrat by his admission. He said... You know, you may find it odd that I'm here because I am a Democrat and I'm married to a man. And, uh, you know, I think it was not just theatrics. He was trying to set the stage and saying, look, anybody can realize that this is wrong. And I may happen to be anybody. Right. <laughs> and it was just I thought it was a very effective presentation. Uh, really, um, the t- testimony, very effective. Uh, but yet here we are to, a day later and nada. Right. Other than, you know, some of my colleagues in talk radio and uh, maybe Newsmax and Fox News are good friends at Breitbart. But you're, you're not hearing and seeing much about this. And, and that's because those that get all these clicks like CNN, MSNBC, they are silent. And that doesn't surprise me. Censorship runs uh, in, 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 in deep in the veins of so many individuals, uh, just like today. Right. Today. RFK Jr. was on Capitol Hill. He was trying to testify, and he did testify. But that wasn't without any attempt from the Democrats to silence him, saying that he was a white supremacist, that he was single-handedly taking on and bullying the tech and media companies. This is what uh, Representative Plaskett said. <laughs> thought it was insane. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. But that's what it is. And it, our enemies do a good enough job attacking us from abroad, whether it's cyber attacks or or these cultural attacks like, you know, buying off our politicians and getting them to act the fool. And um, speaking of foreign attacks, you'll probably remember about a month ago there was uh, an acknowledgement from our government, the federal government, saying that several agencies were hacked as part of a broader cyber attack. Then we learned that there were some vulnerabilities in email. And it's um, it's disappointing, but it's concerning as well. And, and I want to get into that uh, because I feel like there are foreign enemies out there, like China, Russia, Iran, others, that are just chomping at the bit, waiting to eat our lunch. And when, when we, whether intentionally uh, or unintentionally, don't do what we have to do to protect our critical infrastructure and uh, our cyber stuff, then shame on us, right? We're going to continue to get hacked. Well, that's why I wanted to um, have a conversation about this, because this is a topic, a um, uh, piece I read in the post, collateral spamage typo redirects millions of Pentagon emails to Mali. I see this, and I think this seems orchestrated, but what do I know? That's why I wanted to talk with the tech editor from Breitbart. Bright Barton News tech editor Alan Bakari. He's terrific. He also wrote a, an excellent book about a year ago, and I recommend you, you pick up a copy if you haven't deleted. Excellent book about big tech. Now, Alan Bakari, I believe, is with us. Alan Bakari, welcome.
9: Good evening, Rich. Good to be on.
1: Likewise, brother. Good to be with you. Uh, I always appreciate your uh, opinions on on these news items. And uh, is this something that I should be making... Uh, You know, should I get my knickers in a bunch here? (laughs) Or is this uh, par for the course? Do we always send millions of Pentagon emails to Mali?
9: Well, I think the underlying story is the uh, the incompetence at work Mm -hmm. here. I think some people still have the misconception that the deep state, especially the military side of the deep state, is staffed by these geniuses who are able to pull off massive conspiracies, uh, but actually, like you know, like much like the broader bureaucracy, it's it's much more like uh, Veep than it is House of Cards. Uh, you know, if you're a, if you're a smart young guy, you're probably not going to go and work for the government. You're probably going to go work for Silicon Valley. So it totally doesn't surprise me that people were accidentally sending emails to uh, to Mali to you know .ml instead of .mil. Um. And it's kind of amazing that they didn't just build a simple program to stop that from happening, to warn people that hey, you've got the, you've missed the letter, you're sending this to a foreign com- uh, country. Uh, it's pretty easy fix to do if you have people who are, uh, you know, even just a little bit talented, have just a little bit of skills, you know, in a technical sense. Uh, you know, this is why it's been so easy for uh, for big tech companies like uh, like Google's Eric Schmidt in particular to come into Washington and immediately win huge pentagon uh, contracts because there's such a dearth of technical expertise in Washington every everything's behind the times and uh, silicon valley can essentially uh, gobble up everything and that was a big thing under obama when you know obama was the one who named eric schmidt uh, as a vice to the pentagon and it kind of tapered off a little bit under trump because a lot of the big tech guys don't, didn't want to be seen working with Trump. But uh, it's definitely a, a trend of the past two decades.
1: You know, Alan Bakari, this is um, so disconcerting because you've got, like you've pointed out, you've got the Obama officials, um, you know, intermingling with, with Google folks. And you had the Biden people all over Twitter and and it makes you think that, that there isn't really and again i understand people leave government and go into the private sector and vice versa but it seems like an incestuous relationship
9: it also seems pretty one-sided i mean right. what the one of the subtexts of the twitter files is that you know the government just you know it doesn't have the it, it's kind of like a good thing they don't really have the power to censor americans they don't really have the power to control the narrative. They used to just be able to, you know, talk to their friends in the media if they wanted to shut down a story or, you know, prevent Americans from seeing something. Now they have to talk to these Silicon Valley companies. And in many cases, even the left-wing members of the Silicon Valley companies, like uh, like Twitter's Yale Roth, will push back and say, well, hey, actually, these are not – you see this in the in the leaked emails. He'll be saying, well, no, these are not Russian bots. They're American journalists and activists. So yes, the deep state uses Silicon Valley for its own purposes, but even even the left wingers in Silicon Valley seem a little bit more independent and a little less uh, co-opted by the deep state than the traditional media.
1: Unbelievable. So we have real deep state threats. Then we have these um, threats that come by happenstance when uh, that are going back a decade. Right, I'm seeing here that these typos, the Mali and dot mil dot ml. This stuff has been going on for ten years, and uh, the folks that ran the the servers for the for Mali, they they've announced it to to the Pentagon on multiple occasions and warned them, and nothing happened. And it just it's crazy to, to see how you have this this just lopsided relationship with big tech, and uh, and, and they still can't get it right. Folks, we're on with Alam Bokhari. And uh, we're going to continue our conversation. He's got an excellent piece in Breitbart on uh, how consumer groups are pressuring Congress to stop car companies from spying on Americans. And I got to tell you, uh, there's a lot of gadgets in my car. And I always feel like, you know, I feel like, you know, like that old song. I always feel like somebody's watching me whenever I get in my car. It even gives me a warning. Like if I don't look out the, you know, at, at the infotainment console or if I'm wearing darker sunglasses than I normally wear, It'll say, please keep your eyes on the road. And I'm like, how do you know I'm not looking at the road? Man, I hate that stuff. Anyway, folks, we're going to continue with Alan Bakari from Breitbart News. He's the tech editor there. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. No care. And live on the air, it's Rich Valdez.
1: All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Alam Bokhari. He is a writer with Breitbart News, specializing in the tech sector. And he's got an excellent piece that I recommend you check out. And give him a follow on social media as well so you don't miss his stuff. It's uh, It's exclusive. Listen to this. Consumer groups are pressuring Congress to stop car companies from spying on Americans. And um, I think this is uh, concerning. Alan Bukhari, tell us all about it.
9: Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we don't realize how much data our cars, especially newer cars, collect on us. Um, we think of the, the big data collecting companies as being Facebook and, uh, and Google but uh, another big one was uh, was Uber. Uber infamously had a uh, had a, uh, a God mode option that the early CEOs would just dip into to see to look at people's interesting uh, interesting Uber trips. So you know, there's a lot of data that cars can collect on you, and there's currently a battle going on whether the wow. car manufacturers hold on to that. Um, or whether the tech companies get a hold of it, and the tech companies are trying to get a hold of it. So that's that's essentially the the core of uh, of this story. Who is going to own that data going forward?
1: You know, recently, I I don't know if I read it or saw it or maybe it was YouTube. Who knows? But I, I'd read something about these um, sensors that were equipped in in uh, routers that allowed. They, they, they didn't have cameras but they knew if people were in the room and kind of like the movement and it used that to be to, to create to predict um, how how people were moving and, and I understand smart speakers do the same thing without like technically spying on you um, is this type of technology that I'm describing something that uh, our car, our cars are also equipped with Alan Makar
9: um, I don't know about that. It's certainly entirely possible that that story you mentioned about the routers—I saw that too. They can indeed detect whoever is, uh, who is in a room. Um, you know, there's also all other kinds of uh, devices that collect way more data than you'd than you'd think. Uh, there was a big scandal. I remember a while back. I think it was smart home devices that were collecting, you know, huge huge chunks of conversation and then sending it to human operators. Uh, so that they could train the uh, train the AIs to recognize certain uh, certain words and certain tones of voice, but they were like sending way more. Uh, they were supposed to be like breaking up the uh, the sentences and the conversations, but they were actually just allowing random employees to listen on entire conversations going on in private homes. So uh, there's, there's a lot of there's like so many uh, so many devices that we're surrounded with at all times, and they're always collecting uh, data.
1: So now this, this piece, uh, to me, I find it alarming because I'm thinking, you know, it's good on these consumer groups to, to pressure Congress to stop car companies from spying on Americans. Uh, because I think oftentimes if, if somebody's not looking out and, you know, again, I don't know much about this. I read an article here and there from Alan Bakari and I'm like, hey, I'm smart now, right? <laughs> you know, uh, you're the one that knows this stuff. And, and there's not a ton of guys like you out there that really are up to speed on this. What do you recommend, other than reading your column, which I think is a great idea, but what do you recommend to people who, um, who might be sitting in the middle of lots of vulnerability when it comes to uh, their technology to, uh, to stay safe?
9: Um, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. It's almost impossible to, uh, to escape these days. Um, I certainly know people who don't get uh, smart TVs. They uh, they get older, dumb TVs, but those are getting harder to find. So we're certainly moving towards why do they spy on us too? Uh, smart TVs. Oh yeah, I mean of course, smart TVs are constantly sending data back to uh, the tech companies, so they know what you're watching. Uh, we know what to recommend. But they're also, you know, potentially if they're activated by voice, they're collecting your voice data as well, mm-hmm. uh, which can be a bit more uh, a bit more invasive. Um, you know, I think the way forward is, you know, these technologies aren't going anywhere. So the way forward is clear standards about what companies can collect and what they can do with it. And we're kind of in a Wild West scenario right now where those standards don't quite exist and Congress hasn't really caught up to, uh, to regulating all these new technologies.
1: Yeah, it sounds like the same conundrum they face with AI. They don't know how to regulate it because they feel like they have existing statutes on on spying or on intellectual property or whatever and what have you. Uh, but it seems like a, a whole new bastion the the world of AI, yeah. just as the the world of data collection seems to be.
9: And they also end up falling into political traps by getting obsessed with the uh, with the wrong the wrong problem and unimportant problem, or a problem that doesn't exist. So with AI. You have the Democrats, including the FTC, making much too uh, much too much of uh, research from uh, the field known as machine learning fairness, which is essentially just critical race theory plus computer science, trying to make make AI algorithms fairer and you know serve the go- serve very ideological goals of racial justice, as opposed to actually accurately analyzing data. Because if you just have an AI that accurately analyzes the data, then you know that's not going to necessarily serve ideological goals. Because sometimes ideology is at odds with the data. And certainly, I see the Democrats falling into the trap where they just they obsess over what the machine learning fairness academics are telling them, and not actually over issues, real issues with AI that everyone should be concerned by.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And, and you know, as you're writing about you know, the, the spying on people through cars or other tech, uh, there's still an issue of the government, right? <laughs> Where, I mean, uh, recently, we, we've, we, as recent as today, we've seen uh, the, the House uh, Committee on Weaponization trying to uh, censor RFK Jr. on his censorship, right? <laughs> he was talking about how he was censored, and they were trying to censor him from being able to talk about his censorship. And uh, we've also seen it come out of the National Defense Authorization Act uh, becoming, um, fertile ground for, uh, censorship as well. And I think that, and this is something you've written about. And I think it's a, it's an interesting point on how, you know, they wrap it in safety and security and people think, well, we need that. But ultimately it's, it's, um, a Trojan horse for, for more, um, control on free speech.
9: Uh, indeed, and uh, national security as well. I mean, the uh, the NDAA the latest reports are uh, Mark Warner, I think it is, um, and this is somewhat unconfirmed. Um, he's trying again to get his Restrict Act into the NDAA, and the Restrict Act, if you remember, was the so-called TikTok ban bill that oh, yeah. actually did far more. It did it far more than simply ban TikTok? It was essentially pa- the Patriot Act 2.0. Just extraordinary uh, draconian punishments for Americans that violated. Uh, I believe it was State Department that would be allowed to say, "Well, certain websites are sanctioned. You can't go to them, and if you use a VPN to go to them, we'll we'll put you in jail. We'll do all sorts <laughs> of. Uh, we'll fine <laughs> you." It was extraordinary. It was like an American great great firewall, like using Chinese tactics to beat the Chinese.
1: Ah, terrible!
9: Or becoming China Bukhari. to defeat China rather. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I want to make sure before we wrap up that you let everybody know how they could find you. Uh, Why don't you tell everybody uh, if you have a website or if you wanted to go to Breitbart.com, the best place to find what you're doing?
9: Sure, you can uh, always find my articles on uh, Breitbart.com. You can buy my book on Amazon. It's called Deleted Big Text Battle to Erase the Trump Movement and Steal the Election. And my uh, Twitter handle is at Alan Bakari.
1: Alan Macari, always a pleasure, always enlightening. I appreciate you staying up late to be with us live. All
2: Thanks, right, my brother
1: Yes, sir. And we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead 833-4 Valdes 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere.
7: Rich Valdez, who, again, will do a fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening to him.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: So everybody's talking about Barbie, the Barbie movie, all sorts of Barbie this and Barbie that. And I'm looking at an article in the New York Post that says, I can turn you into a plastic $120,000 Barbie doll, private parts included. And uh, of course, they're talking about uh, plastic surgery uh, to look like the the doll, right? The Barbie doll. And um, of course, lots of controversy on this whether it's promoting wokeism or not. And I can say, in my lifetime, I think Barbie's always promoted commercialism, right? <laughs> it was it was always another tool uh, to uh, just sell more stuff, and uh, it was. It was never really like like, like Hollywood, even. You know, Hollywood at least was art imitating life. Barbie wasn't really art imitating life. Barbie was creating the idea that you wanted, and, and people were following this idea that wasn't really life. Uh, and, you know, so I find it interesting that there's all this critique on Barbie now, saying that, you know, she's this and she's that, and the movie's this and that. And I'm thinking, that's what Barbie's always been. It's always been fake, phony, and fraud. It's fantasy land. It's a doll. But anyway the uh, the the story here is about people getting plastic surgery and I thought that was interesting and it, it really focuses on our society and how people really have uh, an obsession with youthfulness and and I get it you know I, I do understand it i don't I don't really aspire to have like the beard that my dad had right I mean before he died my dad had like a literally white beard like Santa. That was cool. But, you know, the 20 years it took him through salt and pepper to get there, I'll pass. You know, I'll stick with the, the darker beard. It looks better. You'll look more youthful. I mean, I think everybody's at their best at some point, I don't know, 30s, 40s, you know, where you're really in, at your best shape. Maybe it's in your 20s. And, and of course, that's why people want to stay young and feel young and, and hold on to that. Uh, but with us to discuss, America's obsession with youthfulness is board-certified plastic surgeon. He's also the host of a weekly show called Nip Talk, which I think is really cool. Uh, welcome back, Dr. Bruce Herman. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. You bet. So let's um, dig into this a little bit because <clears throat> let's do it. I'm, I was reading on, uh, on this, and it says, you know, TikTok's latest aging uh, effect reel is revealing America's obsession with youth culture has been obsessed with youth for generations. But these days, yes, teens and 20 somethings are, are getting Botox before the first hint of, of a wrinkle. And uh, I think that's crazy. I've also seen a lot of like lip injections and this and that. And I, I don't know if it's uh, if that's, you know, laden with side effects or not. Uh, but I, I just can't imagine it's great for you, Dr. Herman.
3: Sure. So yeah, there was a, a big trend on social media in the past few weeks with that aging filter and Kylie Jenner kind of set it off. You know, she's got so many followers on social media and yeah. so she did it to herself and uh, you know, she's 25 years old, obviously very, very good looking. And so she did it and made her look like she was probably in her fifties and, and she still looked good, but she, you know, obviously being 25 had a somewhat negative reaction to seeing herself at, at that potential age. And so there was all this talk that came up of, you know, people realizing that they're going to get older and people are attracted to things that they're afraid of. And Americans are afraid of looking older. And so there was a lot of talk in the past few weeks about younger people seeking out plastic surgery, which is not a new trend. It's, it's something that, that we've seen, you know, over the past few years that generation Z is into plastic surgery and youthful procedures.
1: Now, let's talk about that. Because, I mean, I, I think the last time we spoke, we spoke about the dangers of going to, like, um, Colombia oh, or Mexico right, yeah. or any, mm-hmm. any foreign yep. place, right, to get yep. a BBL, right, the uh, Brazilian right. butt lift. Um, but, uh, and mean, obviously, I think way, a lot of young I've, people do that.
3: Yeah, that that is one of those trends in plastic surgery that I certainly am, am not a big fan of. And I know we talked about that last time, that the Brazilian butt lift, I think, will be, um, not as popular in the years to come, but as far as, uh, younger people seeking out procedures, you know, as, as always, I'm kind of uh, in the middle on this one, you know, uh, I would use my wife as an example. I know she hates that, but my wife started getting Botox when she was about mm-hmm. 30, about the time that I, I started in plastic surgery. And now uh, we're just both to ask,
1: 30. is that the right time to start getting Botox 30?
3: Well, I mean, it's not a bad time to start it. It's very common for, for women in their late 20s or 30s to start Botox because what Botox does, if you use it before you have wrinkles, you never get the wrinkles. And if you if you saw wow. my wife who's been getting Botox now for 18 years, you would never think that she's her age because the, the frown lines that she would have gotten over the years have never materialized because Botox has prevented it. And in that
1: case, Botox is a
3: nice way to prevent aging because those wrinkles on the face are one of the first things that make us look older.
1: Now, and since we're on the topic, uh, for anybody who's not familiar, and I'm, I'm no expert, but I know that this is, um, was some sort of toxin that was created for something else and was discovered to, to stop like the muscles from tensing so much. Is that how it works? That's exactly
3: right. So it's, it's botulism toxin, which is actually a very deadly toxin. However, it's only deadly if it gets into your bloodstream and used in the manner that we use it for to paralyze superficial muscles. It's completely safe. There's never been a case of fatality from using Botox in the face to eliminate wrinkles. So, yeah, it paralyzes the muscles. It lasts on order of three to six months, depending on how frequently you get it. it has a very safe uh, risk profile. Uh, and the only thing is it, it does cost a little bit of money to get a full uh, set of Botox in the forehead, in the area between the eyebrows and the eyes, is going to run you uh, in the ballpark of about five hundred dollars, give or take, depending on where you live.
1: All right, so you get five hundred bucks, and then that's five hundred bucks every six months or five hundred bucks a year. Yep. Or how does that work? Uh,
3: yeah, if you want to use it regularly, you, you probably should do it a couple times a year. And of course, there's no you know, absolute need for it. I mean, is the more you use it, the better it works. But yeah, if you want it to be effective full time, which people do, this is, I'll tell you, Botox is one of those things that, that about 99% of people just love. And I I do it on people who've never had it. And they say, I can't live without it. I got to come back. And, and so fortunately it's, you know, pretty harmless. There's, you know, the only, thing that really you're out is just the cost of it. There's no big risk associated with it. So yeah, it's one of those things that people start using young or even later in life and they they really do like it because it does make people look younger.
1: Interesting. Now my my thought on this is is the do you find the demand for Botox increasing because people are like, all right, I got it and it didn't do anything bad and it was safe. uh, Or is it because people are getting older faster because times are rough and they want to hold on to their youthfulness.
3: Well, I think there's a lot of reasons that, uh, things like Botox are increasing in popularity. You know, the pandemic was a big one. And I, I, I think we may have talked about this in, the, in the last time we were together about the zoom effect where during the pandemic people were working from home and what would they do? They were getting on zoom and they were seeing pictures of themselves constantly on the computer and they were I, noticing they were like tv like people all things. of a sudden yeah exactly right yeah that also in the rise of tiktok where people are doing a lot of videos that are kind of a one-on-one view of their face people are they're making the videos or they're seeing other people who are making videos and, and are noticing these signs of aging or youthfulness so yeah there's actually a lot of reasons that botox is increasing popularity and and as i said it's it's a pretty safe procedure it's it's very effective and so uh, yeah, it's not surprising that every year we see an increased rate of Botox, both in women and men, actually. There's every year a little bit more men get Botox than the year before.
1: Now, I, I've read articles that say that Botox has other uh, benefits or features, I'll use the word sure. features, uh, be, beyond paralyzing muscles so that you don't frown it so much and get these these um, crow's feet or forehead lines or whatever lines. Um, but also to, to prevent uh, hyperhidrosis and other things like that. What can you tell us about that?
3: Sure. Um, well, one of the effects that I see in my patients uh, is that it's very effective at reducing headaches. And so if you are a person that suffers from chronic headaches or even migraine headaches, all of my patients who suffer from that and get Botox will tell me that they get less headaches, which is a nice side effect of this drug. In fact, Uh, My wife, who I always use as an example, will tell me, I know my Botox is starting to wear off because my headaches are starting to come back. Mm -hmm. As you said, hyperhidrosis is a a common use for Botox. The the only downside to that is the amount of Botox that you need to effectively treat an area for excessive sweating. Sorry, I, I said hyperhidrosis. So for your listeners, that's excessive sweating, whether it be in the armpits or the palms. It takes quite a bit of Botox, so oftentimes you're looking at maybe a $1,000 worth of Botox to get that effect for the sweating. And unfortunately, insurance is not great about paying for that, so it's kind of a, a fairly significant out-of-pocket cost.
1: Yeah. All right, folks. Well, we're going to continue with you, Dr. Herman. Uh, folks, we're on with Dr. Bruce Herman, board-certified plastic surgeon. Uh, he hosts a program called Nip Talk, which I think is a really clever name. And uh, we're going to continue our, our discussion on America's... Uh, Obsession with youthfulness when we return. 833 482 5337. 4 Valdez.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833 4 Valdez. That's 833 482 5337. 4 Valdez. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: So scientists at Harvard University claim to have come very close to finding the proverbial fountain of youth. According to a recent publication in the scientific journal Aging, the team has identified six chemical concoctions that have the ability to reverse the aging process in both human and mice skin cells. A molecular biologist at Harvard Medical School and co-author of the study has hailed this as a, quote unquote, breakthrough and sees it as a step towards affordable whole body rejuvenation. Now, our guest, Dr. Bruce Herman, board certified plastic surgeon. Doc, what do you think of this?
3: Well, it's interesting when you were uh, talking about that study, I'm not familiar with that particular study, so I would be really curious to hear what their thoughts are on things that can prevent aging. Now, I can tell you about a couple things that I know can prevent aging for your listeners who maybe are not ready to dive into Botox or other procedures or surgery to to stay youthful. Right. It was just a big hubbub on social media when Gwyneth Paltrow posted a picture of her on vacation. And people were kind of taken aback that her skin really showed some advanced signs of aging. And, of course, that was a big topic and something that we talked about on uh, my last show last week. And it was mostly due to sun exposure. And so when people think about, okay, what are some things I can do to prevent myself from premature aging – Probably the number one factor is not to get any excess ultraviolet light, whether it be from sun uh, or or tanning beds. That's one of the things that I see that will age your skin Someone faster. So, stay out day. of
1: the sun and stay out of the tanning booth.
3: Yeah, ultraviolet light is really,
1: really bad for your skin. It ages it very quickly. Now, I love uh, being in the sun. I'm like a convertible and lover. I too. <laughs> so and I So let me I, ask I grew- you, if I'm going to do that, uh, what do you recommend I do? Like a ton of sunscreen, a bunch of lotion, yeah. or no? Yep, yeah, absolutely. Uh, sunscreen
3: is absolutely your best bet. You want to use a sunscreen, preferably a waterproof one. Apply it every couple hours. If you do that, you can stay out in the sun as much as you want, and your and your skin will be protected from that harmful ultraviolet radiation that that ages it. So, and so um, we're talking
1: about both preventing like melanoma, skin cancer, as well oh, as yeah. like premature wrinkles. aging.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the big things that causes skin cancer is, is, is lifetime accumulation of ultraviolet light exposure. So, you know, fortunately skin cancer is very treatable, but obviously if we don't have to have skin cancer, that's always the better. So, uh, yeah, staying out of the sun or protecting yourself from the sun with good sunscreen or shade, uh, is very important to prevent that aging process and overall keep
1: yourself healthy. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. So, I know you don't know this study but it's um it, it seems skeptical to me right <laughs> uh, I'm really <laughs> yeah. curious as to you know are they going to mix six different things together and come up with a uh, a fountain of youth pill it seems very very um like a like a long shot to me uh wh- what's They'll the be closest very rich thing if they we... do yeah i have heard some people say that you know um different um endocrine things like uh, hormone replacements and things like that can act as a a deterrent to aging. I don't know how accurate that is. What's your thought?
3: Well, definitely as we age, our hormones start to shift, and we start to see decreases in the natural androgynous hormones like testosterone in men and estrogen in women, and that does have an effect. It starts to slow down our metabolism. We see that it's actually much harder to keep weight off, and overall make you have less energy. So yeah, there is some truth to the fact that, that our natural hormones do start to wane as we age and supplementing that can potentially, uh, you know, make you feel more youthful and potentially look more youthful. So I, I'm not somebody who goes around recommending hormones to my patients, but there is truth to that science.
1: All right. Well, we're going to continue this conversation and, uh, Wrap it up with Dr. Herman on the other side of this break. I want to give you the phone number. It's 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES. And, of course, Open Phone America starts at the top of the next hour, so you can start getting your calls in on that on every topic we've discussed tonight, whether it's uh, the hearings on censorship and the weaponization of government, our conversation on the uh, hacking and uh, incompetence of some of our government workers and not protecting our critical uh, cyber infrastructure, as well as the fascination and obsession with youthfulness that we're discussing right now with Dr. Herman, plus all of your comments and thoughts as well. 833-4825-337, valdez
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 833-4-VALDEZ That's 833-482-5337 833-4-VALDEZ That's Valdez with an S
1: Alright America, now listen I know a lot of you are thinking I don't give a crap And some of you might be telling the truth Some of you might be lying But I'm um, looking at this article here Listen, And this is from UPI Chronic constipation may indicate higher risk for dementia. Now, I'm coupling this with another article, Washington Post. Hearing aids may cut risk of cognitive decline by nearly half. A large study showed that older adults with a higher risk of dementia may be able to reduce their risk of cognitive decline by almost 50% by using hearing aids. So, if you are like our president, Joe El Baboso Biden, uh, who's had quite a bit of nip talk, I must say, and and you can't poop and you can't hear. Well, you're you're on your way to, to losing it. Um, Doc, have you heard any of these?
3: Well, I, I hadn't heard the one about the constipation. I, I, I do believe the study about the hearing aid, because one thing that I know does decrease the risk of dementia as we get older is keeping your mind sharp and keeping it active. And I could Mm -hmm. totally see how somebody who was not able to hear would be engaging less with, uh, outside stimuli, whether that be people or, you know, anything really. And so if if you don't, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so I think being able to hear would definitely keep people being sharper. So I I could see that that study is, is very accurate.
1: Yeah. All right. Well the we're gonna delve I into can't that. Speak about. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it. But uh yeah, I'll I'll get uh lots of opinions from uh from Web MDs like me uh in the next hour. Uh but I wanted to let everybody know how um how you know how they could keep up to speed with the work that you're doing and uh, if they wanted to tune into your program and whatnot. Let everybody know.
3: Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, it, it is very a big, important thing to me to keep people educated. And so I did that first on social media, things like TikTok and Instagram, and I took it to the next level of actually one year ago tomorrow uh, and started my own video podcast about plastic surgery, health, and medicine. Cool. You can Happy see it on
1: YouTube. Give them the uh, address really quick show. before they cut us yeah. off.
3: It's, it's at Nip Talk Show on YouTube, and we talk about topics like this every week.
1: Perfect. Dr. Herman, thank you, sir. Folks at Nip Talk Show, check that out on on TikTok and on Instagram. And stick with me right here. Open Phone America starts right now. I'm Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and I'm happy to be here with you. Thursday night edition, welcome to the program. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, feel free to give us a call, 833-482-5337, 4 valdez And the hearing on censorship today, um, hosted by the... United States House of Representatives uh, Committee on the Weaponization of Government, chaired by Jim Jordan, uh, was a really interesting, uh, a really interesting place to be. I mean, the Democrats went after the Democrat witness, right? And again, the witness being the son of Bobby Kennedy, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, uh, a prominent Kennedy family member that's running for president. But they don't like his position on a lot of things. And again, this guy is a liberal, right? It's not It's not like he's talking about cutting taxes and being pro-life or anything. He's not a conservative. But he tends to not like uh, the, the current vaccines that are available. He's been vaccinated. His children have been vaccinated. He claims he's not anti-vax, but that he doesn't like the COVID vaccine and some others that uh, he's taken exception to. And, and there's others in Hollywood that, that have taken similar positions. But, and my point is that he's been ostracized by the, by the Democrat Party. I mean, uh, one Democrat uh, congressman, uh, what's his name, Gerald Connolly, today he says that he, RFK Jr. brings shame to the Kennedy name. Listen to this.
10: There's an opportunity to have a conspiracy theory here. An opportunity to make political points. And no matter what you may think, Mr. Kennedy, and I revere your name, you're not here to propound your case for censorship. You are here for cynical reasons to be used politically by that side of the aisle to embarrass the current president of the United States, and you're an enabler in that effort today. And it brings shame on a storied name that I revere. I began my political interest with your father. And it makes me profoundly sad to see
1: where we have descended today in this hearing. You know, this is so funny. How dare you play politics when you're running for president to try to embarrass Joe Biden, your opponent in the primary? Now, listen, it's not like Bobby Kennedy, or excuse me, RFK Jr. is in uh, the White House. It's not like he is... The attorney general, it's not like he's doing anything to uh, politicize or weaponize his governmental authority to go after Joe Biden. All he's doing is leveraging his celebrity, leveraging his name recognition to lend, uh, I don't know, some voice to his platform because he's running for president. Now, I'm sure people say, oh, don't waste your time. You don't have a shot. Well, I'm sure I'm sure he thinks otherwise. (laughs) And it's just interesting how they just, th- that was one angle, right? That was one angle that they took where they said, oh my gosh, you bring shame to a name that I revere. How dare you call yourself a Kennedy, I bendito, right? Unbelievable the way they whine and the belly aching. Uh, but that doesn't stop there. Then you've got Representative Stacey Plaskett. And listen, closet, I am a closet fan of hers. I think that she's very effective. I think she's very well spoken. I think she's very convincing. I don't agree with what she says, and and I don't like what she says. But I just, I it almost angers me to the point where I'm like, man, you got that one, you know. Where I feel like, you know, she can really fool a bunch of people because she's just sharp, and and she makes a convincing argument. At least, uh, you know, initially, you know, she could sit there and tell you that the the world's gonna last for another ten days or. You know, uh, like AOC, you got 12 years left, that type of thing. But in in a way where you're like, hmm, maybe she's got a point there. Um, Anyway, Representative Plaskett uh, at the censorship hearing today says that free speech is not absolute. And, uh, you know, they want to cite the Supreme Court in order to do that. Of course, the fighting words doctrine is is a real thing. That's not free speech. You don't have the right to free speech to say, hey, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. That's no, not your free speech. It's not. That's a threat. And it falls under the fighting words doctrine. You can't say, hey, you know, the, the infamous um, proverbial example of yelling fire in a crowded theater, which isn't even in the um, that case. But, again, that's the example that's used quite often. And, again, that's nothing to do with RFK Jr. speaking his mind on an issue that he's been very vocal about, and he's, and he's written about extensively. So, I mean, again, I, I, don't, I don't agree with him on everything either. I, I disagree with him on most things. But I don't think we could say that his free speech is not absolute, um, because there was nothing he was saying that even remotely touched the areas of the fighting words doctrine. Listen to Representative Plaskett.
2: Now, many of my Republican colleagues across the dice will rush to cover that they have Mr. Kennedy here because they want to protect his free speech, that they do not believe in American censorship. This is not the kind of free speech that I know of, the free speech that is protected by the Constitution's First Amendment. But free speech is not an absolute. The Supreme Court has stated that. Uh, And others' free speech, that is allowed hateful, abusive rhetoric does not need to be promoted in the halls of the people's house.
1: Now, this is where I take uh, exception to what uh, Representative Plaskett is saying, because because Mr. Kennedy decides to say that he believes China created a bioweapon, she's calling that Asian hate. And because of um, and I I honestly don't remember the context of the other. I think it had something to do with other ethnicities being targeted for extermination, and she's saying that that now is exter, uh, uh, anti-semi- anti-Semitism uh, coming from Mr. Kennedy. And again, it was, it was, from what I could see, that was not the case. And, and he goes on and he makes a case for himself where he's clear that he's never been a racist or an anti-Semite. Uh, this is clip number seven. Listen to RFK Jr. at the hearing today in his own defense.
4: By the way, I want to say this. While I'm on the record, that in my entire life, and why I'm under oath, in my entire life, I have never uttered a phrase that was either racist or anti Semitic. I have spent my life fighting my professional career, fighting for Israel, for the protection of Israel. I have a better record on Israel than anybody in this chamber today. I'm the only person who has publicly objected to the $2 billion payout that the Biden administration is now making to Iran, which is a, is a, a genocidal program. I'm the only one who's objected to that. I fought more ferociously for Israel than anybody. But I am being censored here through this target, through uh, through, through smears, through misinterpretations of what I've said, through lies, through association, which is a tactic that we all thought we had been discredited and dispensed with after the Army-McCarthy hearings in the 1950s. But those same weapons are now being deployed against me to silence me. I know many of the people who wrote this letter. I don't believe there's a single person who signed this letter who believes I'm anti-Semitic. I do not believe that. There is no evidence of that.
1: And, and he goes on and he talks about the letter. And if, if we have time, I'll, I'll play the rest of it. But uh, I wanted you to hear him defending himself because, again, the Democrats didn't want him to even say what he's saying. They said he shouldn't have a platform in the halls of Congress that, he, you know, he could be outside. He could go anywhere he wants, but he didn't have to have an audience of the House of Representatives in order to defend himself. When it was them, Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Stacey Plaskett and others that were maligning him, in my opinion, right? If I say something like uh, there are are individuals, um, you know, Asian individuals in New York City that are being pushed into the subway tracks, does that mean that I'm now discriminating against Asians because I'm making a matter-of-fact statement, which is true? Come on, I mean that you've got to be kidding me. Anyway, let us uh, let us go here. Where do we go? There was somebody that had a comment on this, and I wanted to go with them. Uh, Scott, Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Scott, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome.
7: Hey, Rich. Thank you for taking my call. I wanted to focus on Debbie Wasserman Schultz's comments. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe she described earlier this week. Uh, Uh, Kennedy cited some medical research, and I believe she referred to his comments as vile and despicable. And of course, I disagree with her on that, but if they were vile and despicable, do you go on to repeat them to a audience a hundred times bigger than the original audience and isn't (laughs) repeating them? Uh, uh, equivalent to like retweeting something, right?
1: Just, I mean, just as vile and despicable.
7: Yeah, they they people are gone after five years later because they retweeted something innocuous, and and now they're being uh, publicly uh, accused of things. But yeah, I mean, if you if something you don't repeat a vile and despicable idea or, oh, you know, it's like oh, you wouldn't. Oh, that Mrs. Jones is such a gossip! You won't believe what she said about Mrs. Wilson, and then repeating <laughs> what she said about <laughs> Mrs. Wilson. You know,
1: right? hundred percent. Uh, no, it makes a lot of sense, Scott. I think you're you're hitting the nail on the head. She did, and and, and so did uh, Plasquet. I mean, and again, like I said, I happened to be a, a wa- I watched the whole thing, beginning to end. And I was just shocked at how some of the comments that. Um, Stacey Plaskett made before even Debbie Wasserman Schultz had a chance to make those comments. She was saying that um, RFK Jr. was making these statements on behalf of white supremacy and that he was bullying the media and technology companies. And I thought, how is one man going to bully these huge companies that clearly have bullied the entire uh, you know, American populace for for years on end until one of them was bought by Elon Musk and, you know, took the, the boot off our throat a little bit. I mean, it's just the stuff that they come up with is just so um, imaginative, I guess, is uh, is the word I'm going to use. But Scott, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in South Carolina on WTMA. Great station. And uh, folks, I want to remind you that you can vote for our podcast. We've been nominated Uh, Rich Valdez, America at Night, the podcast, uh, the podcast of this program was nominated for a People's Choice Podcast Award. And uh, you can register and verify your email. You have to prove who you are in order to vote. Um, we, We were nominated for a category called Government and Organizations category for our coverage of governments and organizations. And uh, you can cast your vote at podcastawards.com. Put my name in there, Rich Valdez. And then uh, you have to confirm your email. Click on the link that they send you once you confirm it. And you can go ahead and cast your vote absolutely free uh, under the government and organizations uh, column. So make sure you do that. Rich Valdez, America at Night. I'm looking forward for you guys um, supporting me on this one if you can. I'd appreciate it. And uh, we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
7: fine job, and I know you'll enjoy listening
4: to it.
0: This is America at Night, with Rich Valdez.
4: This is a letter and many of you signed, many of my fellow Democrats. I've spent my life in this party. I've devoted my life to the values of this party. There's 102 people signed this. This itself is evidence of the problem that this hearing was convened to address, this is an attempt to censor a censorship hearing. The the, the charges in as and, and by the way, censorship is antithetical to our party. It was it was appalling to my father, to my uncle, to FDR, to Harry Truman, to Thomas Jefferson, as the chairman referred to. It is the basis for democracy. It sets us apart from all of the previous forms of government. We need to be able to talk. And and the First Amendment was not written for easy speech. It was written for the speech that nobody likes you for.
1: That's, uh, again, RFK Jr. in his appeal to Democrats here, uh, you know, defending himself after they just demonized him for, I don't know, just being who he was. And uh, I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's go to Oshkosh, Wisconsin, KFIZ, another great station. Uh, let's check in with Holden. Holden, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Go right ahead.
8: Hey, uh, the last time I talked with you, it was about uh, what movie you had the best quote. And it was back in the winter months.
1: Oh, cool.
8: I had said, The Great Perdition.
1: And what but, do you think uh, about RFK, uh, Holden?
8: The RFK Jr. should not be running. He's not his dad. And that goes back to that... Final quote in the movie of road perdition. He's trying to be somebody that he isn't. He shouldn't even be running for president.
1: Why not? You think he has yeah. a, he's not effective at it. Trust him.
8: I, I, exactly. I don't think he can be an effective leader. I don't think he can stand forth and upright and, and speak to the world. I don't trust him with, with the way that he is. He, he, he seems like he's a frail, braille type guy just yeah. by the way that he talks, you know, and well, that, he
1: has a, a- an ailment that makes him talk that way. But, uh, but I understand what you're saying. I mean, I've been waiting for a couple of decades now for a Democrat that really gives me uh, that gravitas, that appeal where I'm like, I'm going to vote for that guy. That, that's the guy we need for president. And it's never happened to me. <laughs> I've never found a Democrat that I thought, man, this guy would make a great president. Um, and I wasn't. Uh, I think Bill Clinton was. Um, I turned eighteen while he was in office, so I couldn't vote back then. And again, I don't know if I would have voted for him or not. But he was a good president on the economy. Now, Holden, who, who do you think should be president? Who, who are you putting your support behind?
8: I'm. I'm. I'm a Republican. Yeah, I, I'm very conservative. You know, I I, I appreciate what God's given. However. If we're looking on that route, you know, Trump, I think, you know, the... the well,
1: just tell me and, who you and, think, because we're going to run out of time.
8: I, I would go for Trump yeah. over over to sanctimonious.
1: <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. Holden, uh, calling from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, KFIZ, fizz K-Fizz, K-Fizzle, All right, folks. Uh, we're gonna come back to your calls and more. Plus, I had these. Art- I've been teasing these articles for days about how chronic constipation can lead to dementia, and hearing aids can help you prevent dementia. Don't go anywhere, Rich does.
7: latino
0: america at night with rich valdez call now 833-4valdez that's 833-482-5337 833-4valdez that's valdez with an s a
7: lot of my friends in organized labor know when i think climate i think jobs i think union jobs not a joke
1: That's Joe Biden promoting Bidenomics, and he said, it's not a joke. Yeah, I think Joe Biden is a joke. That's just my opinion. But I'm going to tell you what's not a joke, this article that I shared with you before, and we're going to get to the rest of your calls momentarily uh, on, on whatever topic you want. So just hang with me. But what I wanted to talk about was how older adults are at greater risk for dementia, and they may be able to protect themselves against cognitive decline by using hearing aids, And this is according to new research. Now, we were on with Dr. Herman earlier, and he mentioned that he felt it was because the mental acuity um, is is engaged, right? And you're a lot more dull if you can't hear. That makes a lot of sense. But this um, was a study published on Monday in Lancet, uh, and it found that the use of hearing aids can reduce the risk of cognitive decline by about half, 48% for adults with... uh, risk factors for dementia. Now, of course, Lancet is the same. um, It's the same uh, medical journal that was incredibly wrong on just about everything related to COVID early on. So take that with a grain of salt and maybe we'll get into that. I'll, I'll tweet it out so that you guys can take a look at it at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. And that ties into this other one. Listen, these are real headlines here. Listen to this. Chronic constipation may indicate higher risk for dementia. So if you're constipated, you have higher risk for dementia, and you can cut that risk in half by getting a, a hearing aid. Now, that won't help you poop, but at least you'll be able to hear better, if that makes sense. All right. We uh, continue with uh, your calls. Let's see. Where were we going here? Um, let's go to John. He's in Cleveland, Ohio, on KDKA. Listening online. Go right ahead, John.
5: Hello, uh, I'd like to uh, recommend a uh, uh, search phrase that I made up out of my own mind. Uh, that has uh, produced a plethora, I think, of uh, mind-boggling uh, information. It's called. Uh, it's. Uh, r- it's uh, called uh, CIA controls media to demonize countries for u.s attacks against them and i i think this is so sort of one of the dirty little secrets that the media in this country is really uh, a cause of most of our problems and whether uh one is a supporter of uh, democrats or republicans i think they're both controlled by that same uh, military industrial cia media complex and that is symptomatic of the attacks on uh, robert f kennedy jr The fact that he has uh, attacked these wars abroad and having over 900 military bases in other people's countries around the world, whereas Russia and China have one or two, yet they're constantly portrayed as this uh, demonic uh, aggressor up for conquest of the world.
1: Uh, Well, I'm going to say, John, just because they don't have bases everywhere doesn't make um, Putin and Xi or Russia and China— any better on the scale of of being bad guys um uh, but if the case that you're making is that the united states is a bad guy or perhaps even a bigger bad guy that that's maybe entirely true uh, i kind of liken it to like my brother right not everybody likes my, one of my brothers in particular not everybody likes him they meet him and they go man you guys are related how is that possible he's such a this he's such a that But, I mean, ultimately, I'm a very even-tempered guy. I'm a nice guy. I like to have a good time. I love to joke around. Uh, But my brother's not exactly like that all the time. And ultimately what happens is, if he gets into a fight, what what do you think happens? We're both going to get into the fight, right? So, uh, even if the bad guys are in our government, what am I going to do? Start hating America? It's just not in the cards for me. I'm not going to hate America. Captain goes down with the ship, right? So, you know, If there's going to be a bad guy that I'm in for, it's going to be my bad guy, the United States. Thanks for your call, John. I appreciate it. Uh, Let's continue. Let's go to Don. Don is in Redding, Pennsylvania, W-E-E-U. Don, go right ahead. Welcome. Hi, Rich. Hey.
11: Hey, listen. uh, I'm a longtime listener of uh, Talk Radio. I'm 68 years old. I don't know if you remember Larry Glick. You probably don't because you're too young. Yeah. But uh, he's out of WBZ in Boston. And, you know, I've been listening to talk radio all my life. And I really appreciate you taking over for Jim Bohannon. I'm going to tell you what. Uh, I'm going to tell you what. You're doing a hell of a job. You're a good man. We need more people like you on this earth. You know it.
1: Oh, God bless you, Don. I appreciate that. That's very kind of you. And the check is in the mail, pal. <laughs> Don in Reading, Pennsylvania. Thank you, my man. I really do appreciate it. Uh, let us continue. Thanks for tuning in. means a lot. Uh, let's continue. Where are we going here? Let's go to an, a John now. Yeah, a John, a Don. Now we're back to John. Let's go to John in Oil City, Pennsylvania, WFRA. John, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead.
11: Well, good evening there, Rich. Good to speak with you.
1: Hello, one of the yes. Yes, sir. Well, uh,
11: I initially wanted to call and talk to you about uh the sound of freedom, but okay. I do want to back up to what the other guy said about uh, R. K. Jr. not running. I think it's a good thing being here to shake up a Democratic Party.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that, too. I'm do, not voting for him, but I think it's great that he's in the race.
11: Yeah, I think they need a little guy here to kind of Give Biden a little push. Uh, to take a, They need, like, a renegade in there on a Democrat side because there's still too many of them in there I just drank the blue Kool-Aid too much, I think.
1: No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Listen, I—for I, many reasons. One, because I really do believe in the free market, even in, when it comes to ideas, right? I believe in the free marketplace of ideas. If we have enough discussion, somebody's going to walk away from our discussion going, you know, that guy did better than that guy. That guy's smarter than that guy. I like that guy's ideas better than that guy. right? And, and, and I think that's a good thing for all of us, for my children, for your children, for our neighbors, for our enemies, for our friends. Everybody wins when we have this type of discourse. I, I believe that to be true. Uh, the, the other part of it is, yeah, it's I talk about this stuff on the radio every day. Why not have a guy like RFK Jr. in the race, right? He's a Kennedy, a Kennedy running as a Democrat. He's a Democrat. You know, they're synonymous with Democrats. So the fact that, you know, he gets this horrible reception today and they tell him he's a show for Republicans and he's just there to embarrass Joe Biden. I thought it was just so rich that, you know, there is zero loyalty in Washington, zero loyalty um, with his friends on the left. And, and I thought that was pretty telling, John.
11: Exactly. I think, I mean, it's the same thing they do. They they do the distraction thing. They throw in their words. They try to say, well, you said this when he didn't. They try to distract you into what they're trying to make you think he said when he didn't. And I yep. like the way he backed them up and said, look, well, this is what I said. I'm on oath. I'm going to say this under oath. So you got to hear me right, you know.
1: Right, so and he's right. on the record.
11: Exactly. So I'm, and that's a Democratic tactic that they use. You're in distraction. We're going to not tell you what we're going to say. We're going to, like, make you turn over here and listen to something else. And that's just a blue kind of thing they do.
1: Yeah, but, good but, point, John. I appreciate it. Thank you for your call from Oil City, Pennsylvania, WFRA. And you know, if the Dems have their way, there won't be any oil in Oil City, Pennsylvania, because they're they're, they're coming after the fossil fuels. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Uh, Let's continue it. Linda, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Linda, go right ahead. Well,
10: thank you for taking my call and congratulations. Thank you. And um, I've got two things, actually. Uh, The first that I mentioned was the way the Democrats treated both Mr. Kennedy and the whistleblowers. It's a Good thing we need term limits, very much so, and how anybody is can be voting for their those rude, crude people. <laughs> but in the, with the person you were just talking to, it's making me think. I wonder why there's never been any like great grandchildren of. Washington or Lincoln or any of the early people that have gotten interested in politics.
1: Yeah, it, well, you know, early on there were, right, like the Adamses and even, um, who was it, Hoover, Hoover, she's not in, she's in, you know, sort of in politics, Margaret Hoover, uh, she, she's from, from Herbert Hoover. Uh, there's a few people out there, but you're right it it's, they're not all in elected office. And honestly, I think people frown upon it nowadays. You know, you had the, the Bush dynasty and I think people were, were very upset with that. As much as they like Jeb. A lot of people like Jeb and I like Jeb. I think he had his great on education policy. He was uh he was a decent governor in Florida. I thought Jeb was a good candidate until I saw him, you know, get his his lunch and his shorts handed to him by a guy named Donald Trump. Donaldus Magnus, El Trompito, the forty fifth president of these United States, El Presidente. He really, really um, you know, um, separated the men from the boys in his um, debate uh, back in uh, 2016. And uh, for me, that was the deciding factor for me. I said, I love Ted Cruz. I you know, I like Marco Rubio, too. But um, once I saw what happened there, I said, you know what? This is the guy. This is the guy who means business. And some people don't like that. That was all I needed for me. Call me shallow. Call me whatever you want. Or just call me, 833-482-5337. We'll be right back.
0: This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
10: I'm so glad to be on the show, Rich. It's just an amazing
3: broadcast that... I hope the rest of America listens to you every day.
0: America at Night with Rich Valdez.
1: Let's go to James in Toledo, Ohio, WBBR. James, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. James, I scared him with this beautifully coiffed head of hair that I have. All right, don't worry about it. We're going to go to Tom. Tom's in Trenton, New Jersey on WDEL. Tom, go right ahead.
4: Hi, how are you?
11: You're definitely the best there is in the industry. And, but you were talking about the news media. Can you remember a story out of um, Norfolk, Virginia, I think it was, where there was a man and women, they were a uh, Christian couple, they were white, and they were the anchors. I don't know them. a lot
1: of white Christian couples uh, that are in the news right now other than the, the, the folks that were in that case. Uh, th- what was it, 301 Creative, the Supreme Court case. Um, So I I can't say that I do. But what I can say is that, uh, and I, I follow the New Jersey news pretty, pretty closely. I think it's kind of crazy that you have the governor pushing the attorney general, right, state attorney general in New Jersey, to go after, I think it's three different school boards because they collectively you know, in each of those towns, passed a uh, a school board regulation through the school board because the parents were up in arms saying that if a child wanted to transition, that they had to notify the parents of said transition. And the state took exception to this and said, no, we're not going to do that. Um, And it was some of them were Christian parents. Others were not. But it wasn't on the basis of religion. It was on the basis of parental rights and the parents feeling like they were being cut out of the picture where the minor child, their minor child, who they have um, custody of, was dealing directly with the school and cutting the parent out of the equation. So uh, I I find it egregious that Governor Murphy uh, is really That invested in going against parents that after they lobby and get these these regulations, these school board regulations approved, that he would use the instrumentality of the attorney general's office to as the state's top law enforcer to go after parents. I just think it's like literally stealing a playbook from Joe Biden and what he's done in Washington And if that's not the weaponization of government, I don't know what is. But thank you, Tom, for your call. Trenton, New Jersey, in the building, WDEL. Thank you. Uh, Let's see. Where do we go from here? We're going to uh, let's keep it on the East Coast. Let's go to Alex. He's in Brooklyn, New York, on WFAS. Alex, go right ahead.
6: Hey, thanks so much for taking the call. Um, I wanted to comment about RFK and his testimony that he gave today because the way
8: I felt about it is the the reaction from the Democrats was so interesting because yesterday you had the whistleblower coming out and dirt with dirt Biden. None of the Democratic politicians as offended as they were that the whistleblowers were there. Then they didn't
6: say you have got to shut the, the the witnesses and the whistleblowers up. But with RFK, right, when he was right. talking about the vaccine, they we're like, oh, we got to censor him, we got to shut him up. And he he, if you think about it, he was the first person to be censored, by movement at what with, with Hillary Clinton with the email scandal in twenty sixteen, they never reached out to big tech that you gotta people to talk about it. But now once they started with vaccine where you gotta censor RFK, that opened the door to the politicians to them with the It looks like they're trying to 100%. censor
1: you too, Alex. You're chopping in and out, but I, I get the point. And you're saying that, you know, once you brought vaccines to the mix, all of a sudden they're they they're up in arms. And you're right. And that's because so many uh, politicians overall are sold out to big pharma. They're sold out to, to many different companies, and this is not just um, Democrats. There's Republicans in this uh, in that boat as well. But it, it's you can always see how the, their response is when they let one thing go and then they don't let the other thing go. Somebody has paid them usually quite handsomely. To take that kind of action, Alex, I appreciate it. I wanted to go to uh, Dallas in Brooklyn, New York. Looks like up, oh, looks like he's gone as well. Well, we're going to hit this break. We'll come back, got the rest of your calls coming up. Don't go anywhere.
0: This is America at night with Rich Valdez.
1: All right, this is the speed round. We're going to get as many as, as we can. Let's go. We're going to go to Cleveland, Ohio, WEOL. Steve, go right ahead quickly. Hey,
7: Rich. Hey, real quick. Easy listening in the night. Mm. Uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is the old Democratic Party. Um, we got a Dennis of Menace and uh, Lucy Brown over there. Uh, you know, Charlie Brown, Paulina Luna. But these people, the Bible says is what, later on like what is right is wrong and I'll tell you what's wrong is right but the bottom yeah. line is is Trump knew what's what up was is going down and what's eats. down
1: is up right these guys are all over the place uh, but it seems like the old Dems are 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 like Kennedy and the new Dems uh can't get out of their own way just complaining complaining and complaining thanks Steve let's go Michael Pendleton Oregon KUMA go right ahead Hey, Rich, uh, your friend Michael here. Uh, sorry, I <clears throat> um, couldn't call last night. <clears throat> it was my birthday. so we we're having Happy a- birthday, Hello, Michael. Birthday. God bless you, my brother. Uh, thank, uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. I'll try to be quicker. Um,
7: you know, I speak about Ukraine. The reason explain to the listeners why I have that interest, my girlfriend in three years. Oh, was yeah. There. And like I said, I I don't wish the Russians anything bad, the Russian people. But I'm concerned about my girlfriend and Ukraine people. So they listen, anybody
1: in their right mind wants that conflict to come to an end. Right. We don't want it to continue. Now, there are some people that want it to continue because they maybe profit from it or they think it's right. But, you know, we'll probably dedicate a little more time to this tomorrow uh, so that we could kind of really get into this, because I'd I'd like to get your take on it. Um, So let's let's uh, count the lacula. Make sure you remember that uh, we want to get Michael from Pendleton, Oregon on tomorrow to to go in depth on on. on Ukraine. Michael, thanks for the call, brother. I don't mean to cut you off, but the music's about to kick in, and they're going to kick us all out of here. And let's talk about serious matters here with Paul in Zanesville, Ohio, WSOY. Go right ahead.
11: Uh, Speed, Brown. Okay, Rich. My grandmother loved uh, John F. Kennedy, and I believe it was because uh, she thought that he uh, prevented the Third World War. um, And also, um, on constipation and not being able to hear. Yeah, when you get my age, Rich, you get a little more constipated. Politics don't help. And then with the <laughs> hearing aids, I do believe that's a good thing because if you're not informed and don't listen to shows like the Rich Valdez show, well, then you're really not informed. If you're listening
1: right. to a bunch and, of and other then you're full of you crap. I know that. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Big shout out to WSOY, and I want to give a shout out to James in Toledo, Ohio, on WBER. Thank you, James, for the call. Sorry we couldn't get to you. Frank in Evergreen, Montana, KOFI, big shout out to you. Take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la proxima. Until the next time, I am Rich Valdez. We'll do it all again tomorrow.